0: Hey, would you give Pastor Russ a big hand as he comes to speak to us this morning? Thank you. <laughs> uh, i tell you, it is such a privilege to be able to speak to you guys. Um, I always enjoy hearing myself talk. And I always, do, I did this last service, throw my notes all on the floor and try to confuse myself. That's all right. Hey, uh, John, I think that... Um, little john saw that turtle he thought it was a great white turtle so you know he's like hey, it's gonna get me sometimes i get that kind of feeling it's like it's gonna attack right what is going on well um the scripture that i really feel like lord impressed on me uh to kind of open up with is in first timothy 2 1 and 2 It says i urge you therefore first of all that petitions prayer intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that they may that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness i think that prayer is more applicable today for me than it's ever been in my life i see our culture is headed for some life choices as pastor stan calls them life choices and and uh, i think as as a body we really need to continue to pray for the leadership of this country and of our city and our church. So I'm going to take, we'll just take a minute as a, as a congregation and do that right now. So father, we do, we pray for Stan and Chris, God, that you would be with them. As John was saying in Hawaii, that they would be blessed and God, they would be refreshed and filled up in Jesus name. Lord, we thank you for their leadership. We also pray for the leadership of our city and our state and our country. And uh, the rest of the world, too, while we're doing it. Lord, we pray that you would have your way. Lord, the things that need to be exposed and brought to light would be brought to light. And, uh, Lord, that you would begin to, or continue, I would say, to heal our land. Lord, we pray that you protect our freedom to worship you. Lord, there are many people in our country now who would like to shut off what you're doing through the church. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be victorious over them. And every plan that they plot would come against them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's, uh, kids already left. I saw them leave while I was praying. You guys were looking this way. I was looking that way. See ya. You can go though. Yes, if you want to go to kids' church. Because there were two that didn't go. That's right. There you go. All right. Yeah. Okay, so as we were, uh, as we, as Pastor Stan does, and I do this too, we, We both pray really at the end of the year, as the year's wrapping up, we pray, okay, God, we got this year kind of under our belt. What is coming next year? What are we going to be doing? So we pray for what we call vision. Um, We're not really like smoking peyote and waiting for a vision, (laughs) but we are seeking God and saying, God, what are we going to be doing for the next year? That's what's going to happen. Um, so, in uh, pastor stan 's word, he shared this with the church, but it was visible and availability. We noticed that in our i 'm kind of ringing can you can you hear me ringing in our community, we want to be a positive influence number one, but we 've noticed that people didn 't realize that this building was a church right they were like they thought it was Really, they think it's like some kind of sports camp because we have softball going all summer long. So they think, oh, that's a sports facility or it's a warehouse. So we actually put a sign outside that said, this is a church. And we bought a new sign and put it on the front and on the side. And we're really doing what we can to be more visible to our community. We've been in this building since 08. So 12 years, right? Is that good math? It is. But anyway, so that was his thing. And and when I was praying, what the Lord said to me, he said, God room. And I was like, okay, kind of. And I kind of got the idea of, you know, if you're going to pray, go in this little room and pray and, you know, do in secret. And your father who will reward you for what you do in secret. And And then the Lord's like, no, no, no. I want God room. And he said, it was like we were going through uh, the birth of Jesus where Mary and Joseph showed up in Bethlehem and there was no room at the inn. And the the Holy Spirit's like, hey, if that guy, the innkeeper, would have known that was the son of God, he would have made some room, right? He would have been like, hey, I want to make some room. And he said, that's what I need for you is to make some room. Make some room for me to, you know, uh, grow spiritually. And that's always a challenge, obviously. Um, When I got saved, I... Uh, was not christian of course obviously but i mean i really wasn't a christian i didn't go to church i was unchurched i when i got saved i was 25 years old i'd never read read the bible at all the only thing i knew about jesus is he was just all right like the song says jesus is just all right that's really all i knew about jesus and so when i became a christian i didn't even know how to pray very well i think my first prayer was kind of lame it was like okay If you're really real, God, and you prove it to me, I will worship you. But otherwise, I ain't doing it. That was my prayer. It was very eloquent. But so what I really felt like God said is, he says, I want you to make room. I want to increase your spiritual capacity. And I had to think about spiritual capacity. So what does that mean? Well, when I first got saved, I didn't know anything about scripture. And I didn't know how to pray. So long story short, met some really good Christian men who took me alongside. They taught me about the scriptures. They, they helped me learn how to pray, uh, you know, and, and, and I grew spiritually, I increased. And that's what I believe God wants to do for us as a body this year, um, to increase spiritually. And I think that's really what he wants to do is for all the time, but I know he wants to focus on that for me specifically this year. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. So father, we just ask that you would enlarge our spiritual capacity That you would, your Holy Spirit would dig into us, into the things that we need to put down, the things we need to take up, the things that we need to press into, God. We give you permission to change whatever needs to be changed in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, whenever I think of spiritual growth, I always think of this quote by C.S. Lewis. And it's, I have no doubt that God wants what is best for us. I am just concerned about how much it's going to hurt. Spiritual growth, is, it, it, it takes hurt. It's, it, it, it causes us emotional distress, causes us pain. Um, my pastor in California, he always said that God, when he deals with our flesh, he just takes a cheese grater and grades it off with chunks, right? Because that's how corrupt I am as a person. I need that tear down, Um, generally when I preach I use a lot of scripture so you're going to see a lot of scriptures because I believe that scripture is the end authority you know before I was a Christian I anchored my life in all these crazy things like hey if you're a real man you can consume massive amounts of alcohol and drugs and still drive your car it's like what? (laughs) that's really not a test for manhood so just so you know if you're watching please don't try this at home it could be dangerous and you could end up in prison and I will see you there once a month. It'll be good. <laughs> but sometimes when you hear a Bible teacher say, they'll say that the scripture is authoritative. And so what I've noticed is like with the uh, other religions, they make up their own rules. <laughs> they kind of make up their own rules and they'll even write a new book and they'll call it a new doctrine or a new epistle. And it's like they adding to the to the scripture because they don't like what the scripture says. <laughs> They're like, well, that's not exactly what Jesus meant. And it's like, well, that's not what scriptural authority is. Scriptural authority means, hey, we go to that and we look at it and whatever it says, then we conform ourselves to it, not conform it to us. The apostle Paul put it this way in his second letter to Timothy in second Timothy three sixteen. it says, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's what we need. We need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love one of these words because it's the word is actually aligned. Right? It needs to be aligned. You ever had your car out of alignment? I worked in heavy trucks. And we had to align. Part of our job was to align the trucks to go through. And we took over an account over in Oregon. And check the alignment and lo and behold that the first axle was an inch out forward. The second axle was an inch out the other side and third and fourth. Cause they got they four axles back behind the cap. Yeah. So each one was an inch exactly out. And I thought that is odd that they would be one inch this way, one inch. But you know what that does to your tires as you're driving down the freeway? It just peels the rubber off of them. So I asked the driver, I said, so who does your alignments? He says, the tire shop. I said, oh, that makes sense, okay. They wanna sell some tires, they're just gonna let you grade your tires off. Makes perfect sense, what's going on. But that word alignment, when we put those lines, we'd stretch a string out and we did all the measurements and adjusted, took shims out of the front, put them in the back and got all the axles exactly. He gained two miles to the gallon, you know? And I'm sure his tires lasted a lot longer too. So it's important that we know what the Bible says and that you know what I am saying is correct. It is lining up with what the Bible concepts are. What did Jesus teach? What does the Holy Spirit through scripture teach us? So all scripture, the Bible is inspired of God. It is the word of God and it is infallible. That's number one truth for me. And that's why we base all of our stuff on scripture. Genesis one. One through four says. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the water. And God said let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. So God said let there be light. And there was light. Now that's the big bang theory right. God said let there be light. Bang there was light. It happened. Right that's. We know what happened because God was there and he, he had somebody write it down. You get all these other theories about how we actually became into existence, how the cosmos came into existence, but they weren't there, right? It's, this is a firsthand account from God. You can trust it, right? He was there, he knows. The Bible tells us that before anything existed, it says in the beginning, God, I love that, in the beginning, God. Before anything else existed, God existed. The word God is an interesting word. Uh, Not growing up in church, I had to kind of figure out, what does it mean when people say God? Because people say God in good ways and in bad ways. And uh, some people, when they're talking about God, they're talking about some little statue they made, right? (laughs) That that was made out of a piece of wood or some gold or something. And it's like, so what does the word God mean? In Christianity, I love this because you can Google this. It's easy. In Christianity, the definition of God is God is the creator. That's pretty cool. That kind of goes right with what it said there. You know, before Google, the Bible already said, in the beginning, God, right? Already took care of that. The ruler of the universe. I like that title, right? The ruler of the universe. The source of all moral authority. The supreme being and the one and only righteous judge pretty good things now most christians tend to think of the word god as his name but the reality is these are all descriptions of a position the creator the moral authority the supreme being the one and only righteous judge all descriptions of his position his title or his job as we would say like the word president right it's a title it's not the guy's name, even though they say it before they say his name usually, or pastor. It's a title. It's what we, it's what we do, but it's not our name. So I'd like to take a few minutes and talk about this one aspect of the uh, definition of God. It's the one and true righteous judge. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us, may receive what is due for do us for the things done while in the body whether good or whether evil. I was talking to a friend of mine and she was a young Christian and she converted to another sect. They want to they even say they're Christian Christians, but I don't think they really are. But in this they have a belief that hell doesn't last forever. That you go there and you burn up at some point. That's kind of their belief. And she was saying. And I was telling her. Well you know that's not. I read, I read the Bible quite a few times. And that's really not what it says. And she says well I don't care. Because I would not serve a God. That would cause someone to burn in hell forever. They would be bad. And quite frankly when I first became a Christian. I didn't think that was a good thing either. I thought well that's pretty bad. But these thoughts. Are making God who we think he should be instead of who he actually really is. These are what the Bible calls idolatrous thoughts (laughs) because we're saying we don't care what the Bible says, we care what sounds good or what feels good or what I think is right. But because God is righteous, he must judge evil. Think, think about that for a minute. I always, I love it. Somebody said, well, with all the evil in the world, how can there be a good God? And I said, well, to me, it's exactly the opposite. If there's all this evil, there must be good, right? We know that from, uh, I can't remember what the law is, but there's a law that says for this thing, you gotta have that thing, right? You gotta have the opposite. It's like, so actually the existence of really, really bad evil proves the existence of a really, really good God. And to think, oh, there's only the one and not the other is kind of anti-physics, uh, as they say. How can he not judge Hitler? How can he not judge Stalin's and people who kill innocent children? I mean, if he's good, right? If somebody takes your entire family, rounds them up, puts them in a room and gases them all to death, don't they do deserve to be judged? <laughs> I mean, I want them judged, <laughs> Right? God, because he is good, he has to judge evil. In the Old Testament, God judged his people. He judged them for returning from knowing him to worshiping idols and not following him. It's funny, they went into Egypt and they were enslaved in Egypt 400 years because they turned away from God and served idols. It's interesting, they were there 430 years. The first 30 years were, you know, Joseph's rule. It was good, right? But the last 400 years, they were enslaved. And you know why? Because they had turned away from God. And he wanted them to turn back to him. And you know what happened? They turned back to him. They're like, hey. then they got the screw, got tight enough. They started going, God, these Egyptians are persecuting us. They're making us build bricks with no straw. They're doing all these bad things. They're whipping us with whips. Bad things. And they finally turned to God and God sent Moses as a deliverer. But here's what uh, God said to Moses in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you, sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am. I always think that's a, a, it took me a while. I kind of had to break that down. Like, what does that mean? I am who I am. I mean, it almost sounds like a king. (laughs) Wow. We always like to say it like the great I am. Right, Because he's great. He's the great I am. I like to say it like this. I am God. Not me. I'm talking for God here. I am God. I have always existed. And I will always exist. I am who I am. Right? When I understood this, it answered a lot of questions for me. Like the one question that always is out there is where did God come from? Who made God? Well, the answer is. God didn't need to be created because he's always existed. If you exist, you don't need to be created. God needs nothing from us. God is self-existent. That's what I am that I am means. The creator does not need his creation. We were made for his pleasure, but he doesn't need us. But his creation needs their creator. God confirmed Next, God confirmed that he is the same God that their fathers knew and worshiped. So they turned away from God, right? So he's like, hey, I wanna remind you, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jesus, that God that you guys forgot and began to worship idols, that got you in the soup you're in. And the soup's hot, right? But that's, I mean, I'm the same way. I need hot soup or whatever you wanna call it. I need something to motivate me sometimes, to make the change that I need to make. And that was, that's how God does it. And if he's not a good God, I mean, if you could walk away from God, if you could start to worship idols, if he didn't come to get you, how good would that be? Right? He leaves the 99 and comes and gets, I'm the one, right? I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Next, God confirms that he's the God of the Bible right? That's what he's saying. I'm God of Abraham, Isaac. And I know when I became a Christian, I wanted to, I only wanted to serve God if he was real. I didn't want to worship some religious idea, some symbol, some concept. And I wanted to worship the correct God because there's all kinds of gods, right? Gold Buddhas, clay Buddhas. You could worship pretty much. They worship Indians, worship totem poles and spirits and you can be it can be anything people tend to worship it but that's why i always say the god of the bible see it's not muhammad it's not buddha it's not the guy that walked around in his diaper in the desert well i don't know maybe jesus did do that actually i didn't even think about that so just now but it's not gandhi it's not gandhi thank you hilarious god is funny Now, so I thought, hey, if I want to know God, I need to increase my understanding, my knowledge of God. But there's a danger in just increasing our knowledge and our understanding. Those things can assist us in knowing God. And they're good to do. But they are not the end all. Many people, including the Pharisees, had a knowledge about God. But they never really experienced knowing God. Most of the apostles, or most of the Pharisees had like a PhD in theology, right? And most of the apostles were considered uneducated men. Although it took some time, the apostles walking around with Jesus for three years and him doing all the miracles and everything that they saw, they finally got it. He's the Messiah, right? But it took them some time, but they got it. But the Pharisees in their pride and their PhD, education's not against phd sorry that almost sounds like i am but i'm not but it can be a trap you can become so wise in your own mind that you don't need god and that's what happened to the pharisees they had it all down and this jesus guy was messing it up that's actually how the apostle paul got started he was like jesus is messing it up so i'm gonna go around and kill everybody that spouts the name of jesus and that's how he got saved but for the most part, all the Pharisees missed it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 says, this, Hero, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. God instructed his people that he is the one and only true God. I mean that when you understand that, it helps you out. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So He's been doing this God thing from before I was a twinkle in my daddy's eye, right? He is the God of the Bible. To understand this truth, help me know God more accurately. I could go, okay, this isn't just some guy I can make wishes to. It's not the Santa Claus God. <laughs> I want a new bike, Jesus. I want a new bike. So a little side note. The little kid, he, he, uh, He's kind of a bad kid and he finds out that you can pray and get things. So he goes to God and he says, God, I need a new bike for Christmas. And it didn't really do any good. So he thought, well, I need to, I need to step it up a little bit. So he's walking by a a church and he went inside, said, I go in there. I can probably pray better inside the church. And he went down to the altar and he prayed, God, I really need a new bike for Christmas. And he got up as he was walking out, there was a statue of Mary. And he grabs that statue of Mary, runs home and stuffs it under his bed. And he gets on his knees and he leans on the bed and he goes, okay, God, I got your mother. Give me a bike, right? That's not the true God we worship, right? And sometimes people get the idea that, hey, God, it can be manipulated. You can get anything you want if you say enough prayers the right way. But that's not God, the God of the Bible, we look back and God is always moving on the behalf of his people. Most of the time, when the people hear the word God, they're thinking of the Father God. That's who they think of, firstly. But biblically, when we hear the word God, we should think the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, not just the Father, all three. It's what they call the triune God, or theology would say the Trinity. The word God in that scripture we've been looking at is Elohim, which means the plural gods, the plural God. So the basic idea is the one God is plural. The one God is plural. Three separate persons, one united Godhead. Although there is only one position, God, that position is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. These three are one. They are completely connected. Like you know your phone. When you get out by Swan Falls. It's no longer connected. Not like that. No it's always connected. He's got. What is it 5G now? So he's got 1 million G. 1 million G. He's got the connection. These three are completely connected. No division between them. Nothing that happens. Will happen without the full knowledge. Of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know. Jesus didn't just decide one day he was gonna come down and save us. It was a long thought out plan that the Godhead came up with. Understand this is not a oneness doctrine. This is a really famous doctrine bouncing around now. Knowing this helps you not to, to fall for this kind of idea. Sometimes it's called the Jesus only doctrine. So it's like Jesus is just this really good guy and he manifests himself as the father and as the Holy Spirit and as the son. But that's error. That's incorrect. That's what they call false doctrine. (laughs) So the difference, three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit making up one position, the Godhead. This is correct doctrine. And it makes it easy for me to understand. Now, I wouldn't want to get up with some great theologian and debate this part. But for me, this is how I understand God. And this is how I can kind of get a grip on how he works. Seems kind of hard to grasp. But we all know we have one Senate and many senators, right? Of course, our senators never agree on anything. And our God always agrees on everything. There's never any division or any disunity. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I understand this truth, it helps me answer some really tough questions. One of the questions that we get all the time is, hey, do I have to be baptized only in the name of Jesus? And it's like, no, you can be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the oneness doctrine. They're trying to tell you that, hey, unless you're baptized the way we prescribe that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name only. It doesn't work, it doesn't count. But but scriptures are very clear. If you pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're talking to God. It also answers another question that I hear often is, Is it okay to pray to the son? Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it is because they're all so connected. You can't pray to one of them without the other two knowing what you're praying. It's not like there's this division. They're so connected that no matter what you pray to any one of them, it's common knowledge in the Godhead. It happens. And that helps me understand how they work and they interact it also is worth noting in that scripture it says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart all of our soul and all of our strength all three in one right three in one the heart would be the heart our spirit the soul would be our soul this is your mind your will your emotions right and the strength would be your physical body or and it could also uh, indicate inner strength too so it's not just your physical body but with, through that, we can see we are created in the same image of God. We have three different parts of us. We know that we live in this, what we call, I love to call this, our earth suit. Like if you went in space, you would have a space suit. Or if you went down underneath the water, you would have on your scuba gear, right? Because you can't breathe down there without it. And this is our earth suit. This is how we live on earth, in our earth suit, right? It's a body. I live in a body. I am a spirit. My essence is a Spirit. But I live inside this body and I have a soul, a mind, a will and emotions that connect me to this earth. So we see that how how God is made up and it affects how we're made up. And all three of me are in unity, you know. If I break my leg, my mind knows it. (laughs) And it's like, ow, and my spirit knows it too. Now we see in John 1, 1 through 3. It says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Elohim. The father, son, and Holy Spirit. The word was God. Elohim. He was with God. The father, son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning. And through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made. That has been made. In other words he made everything. The father is God and he, was, he has always existed and he will always exist. And he was present at, cre- at creation. Through the f- father, all things were made. Most of us really understand the role of the father. I had a little problem with this because my father was a little, a little abusive. I think that was kind of common for guys that came out of World War II. They were pretty hard, not a lot of emotions really didn't, he says, I don't care how you feel, just do it, right, that's, God isn't like that, he cares how you feel, (laughs) so I had a little bit of adjustment I had to come to, come to Jesus moment when I got saved, I had to realize that the heart of God is good and kind, (laughs) my father, he meant to be good, but he was rough, he used to spank us with a, about an inch and a half leather strap across our bare butt, oh, you know, 10, 15 times, really hard like he'd say you were not going to want to sit down for three days and he was right you weren't going to want to sit down for three days nowadays that's abuse but that's how they did it back in the day right that's and god's not like that he doesn't want to hurt you and punish you but he does want you to turn back to him he wants you to to turn back to him so without the father's ministry there would be no creator no new creation there would be no scripture there would be no salvation That's one of the things the father does for us. We see here in scripture that the son, the word of God also existed and he has always existed and he will always exist. And he was present at creation and through the son of God, all things were made. Most of us really understand the role of the son without the son's ministry. There would be no creation, no scripture, no salvation, but it seems that most Christians really do not understand the role of the Holy Spirit. I know I didn't. I had to kind of figure this out. It seems like, I remember, especially because I got saved in a Pentecostal movement. It was like the Holy Spirit was invented at the day of Pentecost. Like he didn't exist before that. But he did. You look back. I love this scripture. Um, In Genesis 1-2, it says, Now the earth was formless and... and, uh, The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the water. We see that through this scripture, the Holy Spirit is God, Elohim. We see that this scripture, the Holy Spirit was present at creation and through him everything that was made was made. But the truth is without the Holy Spirit, nothing that has been created would have been created. The Holy Spirit is every bit a part of the Godhead as the father and the son. Second Peter says it this way: Second Peter one twenty and twenty one says, "Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human, in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Even though the Bible is the Father's Word." And Jesus Himself was the word made flesh. The role of the Holy Spirit was to inspire the prophets of old to write the scriptures. None of this happened in a vacuum. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit was sneaking around. Right? The Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all knew exactly what was happening before it was written and while it was being written, and on into eternity. There's no division, no disunity. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Holy Spirit has been at work from before the beginning of creation. I dropped my notes and now they're upside down. Okay, now they're right side up. But since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that same Spirit that used to rest on men in the Old Testament now comes to live inside us. That's a hard thing. And I, this sounds a little harsh sometimes. If I, I'll try not to say it harshly. But it's like you're possessed by the spirit of God. Right? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it sounds harsh when you say possessed. Everybody thinks of the, the movies the bad way. But the same Holy Spirit that rested on those men of old comes and lives inside us. In John 20, it says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, before he went to heaven, he, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 12, 15, it says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to make things known to us. That's his job. And it's his to make known the Father and the Son, the one true God. We really can't grasp God without that. I mean, we think we're going to, but we really can't. And that's how we get all these false ideas of God, right? So uh, let's see, this next scripture, the scripture address is on this page and the scripture's on that page. That's what's going on here. John fourteen twenty six says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I said. So the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit will teach you all the things you need to know. That's how I increase my spiritual capacity. That's how we increase our spiritual capacity. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us. You see, there were things that the apostles' ideas that the natural mind could not grasp. They could not understand without the Holy Spirit coming and living inside them. He will remind you of things that I, the son Jesus, have spoke to you. So he reminds us of those things. I know there's lots of times I'm about to do something or I'm thinking about doing something and a scripture that I haven't read in years will just come to my spirit, my mind. And then I will, of course, have to take that scripture and put it on that thing and go, okay, do these kind of line up together? Can I, get, can I do this? Right? Because if they don't line up, then I probably shouldn't proceed, right? I should probably go, whoa, wait a minute. He's giving me a break. Before I put my hand in the trap and get it caught, he's giving me an idea that there's something bad about to happen. The Holy Spirit will illuminate Scripture. The Bible in uh, scriptures from the Bible in your inner man. Just like that. Just like I was talking about. Joel two twenty eight says this. That's twenty eight and twenty nine. And after this, I will pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. The Holy Spirit, God is pouring out his Holy Spirit in our days. We live in the last days, right? And God is pouring his Holy Spirit out on us, helping us understand him. And I mean... Really, what we're talking about is God and what He is like, and His desire is for us to understand Him. And even though we have this little teeny HO scale brain, <laughs> He's trying to get as much information and much knowing in us. And that's why a lot of it, I think, is experience. Right? We it, we, we can always have an experience like the dreams and the visions is talking about. Can't use them to rewrite Scripture though, right? That's where you, that's when you're using the peyote. You can't, you know, you cannot rewrite scripture. You should have some vision. I mean, we have vision. We have dreams. I have hopes, dreams, and I, and I believe a lot of them are from God, but they have to line up with the Bible. They have to line up with scripture. And that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does is when, and it's funny because the more of I know about God, when somebody says something that's not right, there's like a little bell and sometimes I don't even know what it is I'm like okay well it sounded right what they said what is it and I have to go to the scripture and I have to pray and God will eventually reveal it to me and then I'm like oh yeah that's, that's not exactly right what they're saying like, I love the all roads lead to God right? all roads lead to Jesus if you were here in CUNA and you were from Mars and you needed to get to Boise and you came to me and said hey I need to get to Boise and I just like hey all go to, all roads lead to Boise just take a road. pick a road. It'd be like, wait a minute. You'd probably get to Boise through Ontario, right? Or Mountain Home. You know, you could miss Boise altogether. You could end up in McCall. Who knows where you'd be? See, all roads do not lead to God. I mean, in one sense they do because the Bible says every knee will bow. In that day of judgment, we will all be before the throne. And you can either bow your knee now in submission by your own will, or you can bow your knee at his throne by submission against your will. Either way, every knee's gonna bow. But that's not the road you want to take. That's like the road to Silver City. I don't know if you've ever been on that road. Yeah, that road's got some potholes half the size of this room. It's like, oh, watch out. Okay, so Acts 1, 4 through 5 says, on one occasion while they were eating, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard, from me, you have heard me speak about. For John, the Bap, John, John baptizes with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We see these two scriptures are being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Note, it's a command, right? It's like not the 10 suggestions. the 10 commandments and this is is a commandment Jesus gave his apostles a command and said wait until you receive the Holy Spirit some people think that receiving the Holy Spirit is kind of an optional thing and and in a way it is kind of optional but you're never going to live the life that God wants you to live without receiving the Holy Spirit it would be like trying to build a house without power tools and air nailers you can get it done but you are going to be one tired guy when you're done, right? And God has so much more for us with the Holy Spirit. I love the command is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not, hey, if you like this theology, be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's not, not like, it's like, well, you know, it's a, it's a, this is a God's table. You know, you just come and choose what you like. No, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the second portion. Receive Christ. And then, you know, the second, uh, what do they, they give you the meal in different pieces? Uh, come on. Now. Course. Second course is receive the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. It is the only way to fulfill God's will. By his Spirit. Second, uh, Acts 2.4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the spirit enabled them. This scripture has scared so many people out of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit because they might have to speak with tongues. God's gonna take over their body and make them do things, make them, man, just be glad you're not an Old Testament prophet. He made that one prophet can get undressed and go in and out the window for three years. I mean, that like, hey, thank you. The other one had to marry a prostitute. And when she left and went back to prostitution, he had to go buy her back. I mean, so at least we don't have to do that, right? (laughs) You might get to speak with tongues. It might happen for you. Not everybody who receives the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues. We know that from experience. But it's not a have to thing. It's a get to thing, right? It's not like, hey, do I have to be healed? No, I get to be healed. It's a get to thing. Right? I was trying to tell people, this, this isn't a bad thing. The Bible says that God gives good gifts to his children. Your father in heaven wants to give you a good gift to those who ask. But for some reason, he holds it up on whether we're going to ask him or not. He just won't force us to do anything. I, you know, I had this discussion with God a while back. And he says, you know, I never make anybody do anything they don't want to do. And I was like, oh, yeah? What about Job. He did not want to go preach. He goes, yeah, but he goes, I made him want to. Now, see, God changes our heart. I wish I'd have known this when I had kids because I always made them do what I said. But see, God makes us want to do what he said. (laughs) It's a little different. I mean, it's really a subtle difference. But the difference is he puts us in such a place that we finally like, okay, I'm in this belly of this fish for three days. I'm all done with this. Okay, if I have to go preach, Spit me out, I will go preach, right? That, I've been in that position. I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. I, I should say, I'm not anymore. Thank you, Lord. I'm still a little stubborn, but not like, I, not like the Russell of old. I used to have this shirt and I wore it out. But it says, I know I'm not the man that God wants me to be. But then in the back it says, thank God I'm not the man I used to be. Hey, it's a process we're going through. And that process is initiated by the Holy Spirit. Receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit gives us power. It's not some crazy thing for a sideshow at the circus we call church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit every day in my prayer life. One of the things I pray for is that God would fill me with his spirit because otherwise I'm gonna be so busy trying to buy a screw at the hardware store that I'm gonna miss the guy that needs to hear about Jesus who's over in the light bulbs because I'm busy looking for a number 10 metric screw. Right? That's so important. And I missed what's the important thing, right? We need to be continually refilled by the spirit. We are leaky vessels. He could fill us up and it just runs out. And it's fast. Sometimes I think there's a drain. Rather than just a little leak. It just goes. But it is absolutely essential. To live our lives. In the way God wants us to live them. To be full and submitted. To what the spirit says and does. I love the LeHaye. Tim LaHaye he wrote a whole book called the spirit controlled family awesome book if you never read it read it it's great book but in that book the whole idea is being filled with the holy spirit just means you're under his control you're under the holy spirit's control right like when we used to drink we got underneath the spirit's control but it wasn't a good spirit right it was the wrong spirit and it says don't be drunk with wine but be full of the holy spirit we need to be controlled by the spirit of God. That is what sets us apart from the world. So John seven thirty-seven and 39 says, on the last day of the feast, which is the feast of tabernacles, which interesting enough is the feast where they celebrate the pouring out of the water, which almost in scripture, a lot of times represents the Holy Spirit, right? And they do that thing every morning they get up and they go down to the pool of shalom and they get the water and they bring it to the temple area and they pour half of it out on the ground, right? And then they fill the other half with wine, so then you got the wine and the blood, and then they pour that out on the altar. And like we know Jesus was stabbed in his side and water and blood flowed out, right? We know that way we know what that's about, right? But this is the feast where he stands up, right? And the last day they don't fill the pitcher. They just pour out an empty pitcher, right? He'll bring water to a thirsty land and pour it out on dry land. I don't remember the exact scripture and it's not in my notes, so that's free. You'll have to Google it. But anyway, so the last day of the festival, Jesus stood up with a loud voice. So they're all quietly praying and meditating this pouring out of God filling it up and pouring it out. And he stands up and says, everyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive because up to this time, the spirit had not been given because Jesus still had not been glorified. People who are lost in this world, they are thirsty. I was thirsty. I didn't even know I was thirsty. I needed Jesus. I needed the Holy Spirit. And you know how I got saved? I'm watching a TV show and I'm sitting, literally sitting there with a loaded 357 Magnum going to blow my head off. And this guy comes on the TV and goes, you're sitting there and you're thinking about killing yourself. And I'm like, "What? I didn't even smoke anything this morning. What's he talking about? He goes, instead of killing yourself, why don't you give your life to Jesus and just see what happens? That was December 15th, 1984. And I haven't wanted to kill myself since. Right? Amen. That's God. He's good. Amen. So what I really think we should be doing, do now to finish this up is we're going to spend a moment in prayer. And if you're here and maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe he's just, Jesus is all right. You know? Maybe that's what it is to you. Today's the day of salvation is what scripture says. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ and your very eternal life depends on it. That's why it's so serious. I mean, it's like, this isn't like, hey, you know, if you get an 18% loan instead of a 15% loan. No, this is like, you need to make sure you're, you're in the crowd. You want to go, when you get to the, I always love to tell this. I go, a lot of times I live in an older retirement home with people who are older. And they, a lot of them get sick. And I do the visitations for them. And I come to them. And especially if they don't know Jesus I look at him and I go, you know, you're in a position where you may go see Jesus any day and you don't want that to be the first time you met him because that ends in rejection. (laughs) So you wanna meet him now while you got a chance. Like we said, you have the opportunity to submit yourself to his authority now instead of being in that place of judgment where you have to submit, right? So let's pray. And if you're here and you that's you and you want to receive Jesus or if you're listening on the online just pray with us father we ask that you come into our lives jesus we give you complete control of our heart our mind and our spirit lord we ask jesus to come live in us take control of our lives and we ask you to make us new even as the story that I told you in Jesus name. Amen. Now, if you're here and you just want a fresh touch with the Holy Spirit, I think God wants to do that right now. So we're going to make it real simple. I'm just going to pray over you guys. You can just pray along with me if that's what you want. If you don't want, don't pray along with me. You don't have to. It's not a have to thing. It's a get to thing. So father, we ask Lord, as we've been talking about spiritual capacity and Lord, we want to do more things for you and more effectively for you in your kingdom. God, we pray that you would increase our spiritual capacity. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come live in us. Lord, we want to be that river of living water. We want to be that life-giving spirit wherever we go. We want to be able to touch people's lives supernaturally by your spirit, for your kingdom, for your glory, not for our glory. Lord, we don't want it to be some great story, but God, we want to be able to Find the guy on the other aisle who needs to hear about Jesus and just know that we know that we have to tell him our story. We don't have to know the Bible inside out, but Lord, we do have to be sensitive to your spirit. And we ask for a greater infilling, a greater pouring of your spirit in our lives. Not that we can be weird, but God, that we can be effective. Lord, that we can be that fresh drink of water to this thirsty world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.